NASCAR! Nope, we still have NASCAR on. Why, yes, we are doing a red flag with two laps to go. Here's a glimpse of Indy. Nope, red flag at NASCAR is more important. Look at these guys sitting there in that heat. How horrible it is. Okay, right, here you go. Back to the Indy car. No, wait, we're going NASCAR is about to start again, and we're making it three laps to go. Brad Kowalski has won. We'll now return you to IndyCar. I don't know why Alex is at the back. I was watching NASCAR. So stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where did you want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! So Ferrari blows it in Singapore for the second year in a row. Welcome to a reading from the Book of Dre. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Good evening, everybody. On this Tuesday night, it is time for another episode of Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 161. I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and a pleasure to be back. Um, who took my slot last week, by the way? Um, apparently, I wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, you 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 weren't here. Uh, let's just say stuff happens. Yeah. Let's um, just say, um, let's just say one of our uh, one of our uh, one of our great talents has come back from a uh, from an excursion tour for one night only. Um, is that you know, is, is that is that why I was taped up and locked in the uh, broom cupboard last week? Is that yeah? It? Yeah, we had to go all in. Mm, mm. I, I, I see. I see what you did there, um, King. Sleep with one eye open tonight. You may have a horse's head <laughs> in your bed. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. But welcome to episode treble twenty, treble seventeen, ball um, of Motorsport 101. That, that's one for you out there, Lewis. Um, <laughs> of Motorsport 101, and it is a pretty heaped episode this time round. As well, Ferrari came, they saw, and they crapped the bed one more time in Singapore. Stop me if you've heard that one before. As we reviewed the Singapore Grand Prix. Um, where slings weren't required, Sergio Perez lost his mind, and Sergei Sorokin somehow very nearly was driver of the day. No, seriously, that actually happened. More on that later. And we will review the IndyCar season finale at Sonoma, as Ryan Hunter Ray completely dominated the weekend, but Scott Dixon basically told the missus it's time for pancakes to win his fifth IndyCar series title. Um, very special company indeed. It was a you know, a very interesting race because, by God, Alex Rossi certainly tried. More on that in the second half of the show. We also have Krista Harley joining us for that half as well. So, that, you know, fun times indeed for everybody involved. So, with me as always, first of all, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yep, great to be here today. Um, sad that my prediction in IndyCar came out true. I went with the mind. The mind was right. Uh, like, like, take me back here. Was I the only one who picked Alex Rossi? I think I was. Wasn't yeah, I? yeah. You were the only person who picked Alex Rossi. It was you, and it was, uh, and it was Johnson, who both who both went with Rossi. Uh, me and King went with uh, went with Ditson on this one. Not my fault. Ryan Hunter rate was too good. Um, like, Ryan, this was not the plan. 
Ryan Hunter Edith gives no fucks about your plans. <laughs> but um, as always, in the corner, sadly, the one was not defended, but a hell of an effort anyway from one Mr. Newgarden. Welcome back, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Yes, and um, and just uh, just as a recap here, um, RJ will be coming into the broadcast once we are done with the conclusion of the Las Vegas 400. <laughs> if you wish yep. to hear RJ, tune over to the uh, to Motorsport 102 uh, until the race is finished. <laughs> I'd say give it about another 40 hours. There, they're running overtime for the 15th time in a minute. Um, Brad Kozlowski cannot get away from the pack. It's a bit of a problem. We're working on it. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> we will fill in with some early intros and all that fun stuff. King, I forgot to rinse you. Your New York Jets aren't actually don't look all that terrible. Oh, yeah, they don't look that bad. Lost against Miami, but still, solid, solid package. <laughs> solid package. Sam Darnold is as good as expected. Good to know. <laughs> RJ, how's the cake? Uh, there is no cake. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the razor cakes analogy used to describe... Uh, the Buffalo Bills. Um, that's changed this year. There is no longer uh, a razor baked inside the cake. They've just put a giant razor blade that is rusty, and, and there's spots of blood on it. And they Ooh. just serve one of those onto a tray, and that's on a table. And and that table is on fire. And a 275-pound man with no shirt on is about to jump right through it, belly first. Go Bills! <laughs> You see what Nathan Peterman has done to this man? He has broken him. <laughs> when they said when they said put Pitt in, um <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, no, no. That's that's not pretty. Um also, my god, I've got I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward to the introduction here again because we've got a lot to catch up with as well. Um we did three shows last week. Technically four, because uh, we had a technical error on our end with Bike Live 76. I totally didn't forget to upload it, honestly. Um, <clears throat> but um, we had we had four podcasts up last week. Um, over a thousand of you tuned in for all of them. So thank you all so much for catching up with uh, a lot of bikes. A lot of bikes, to say the least on that one. Three of these were Bike Live episodes, including a double header last week. Episode 76 was a Masano preview. Somehow, me and Lewis went 87 minutes, and there was no bike race in the weekend prior. Don't ask me how we pulled that one off. Um, but we did. Apparently, some rejected handshake became the headliner. Welcome to MotoGP, everybody. Uh, um, the weekend itself was a lot more dramatic. Episode 77, Breaking Point, was out. I guarantee you one of the best discussions about Romano Fanati on the internet and that incident that was seen and literally heard all around the world. Me and Lewis went for 45 minutes regarding Romano Fanati, the incident, the aftermath, um, what next for Romano in his career. It is genuinely one of my favorite discussions I've had with Lewis in the god just over four years we've worked together we've done over 160 of these now um if you include our downforce era history but it's it's a genuinely brilliant conversation i highly recommend you go out of your way to listen to it if you haven't already episode 77 breaking point is out as well um episode 78 as well came through on sunday talking about bsb and the regular season finale i guess if you want to call it that um at silverstone's dot 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 national layout 
it's a long story. <laughs> um, but it was Leon Haslam who took not one, not two, but three victories. Um, he took the clean sweep of wins at Silverstone in dramatic fashion, as well as Peter Hickman limping his way into the showdown. And Christian Hidden, who broke his collarbone on Saturday, raced anyway, and missed out by four points despite finishing fifth in race two. It is a cruel world if you're Christian Hidden. For the second year in a row, he misses out to the, on the showdown via bizarre circumstances. But uh, that was a fun show. Not to mention a 45-minute interview with Lewis, with Greg Haynes, the voice of World Superbikes on British Eurosport. Um, you may have also seen him as well now, and he does he does the ITV, ITV4 British Superbike highlights as well. So he's on actual every TV in the land now, which is really cool. So shout out to Greg Haynes. Sadly, I wasn't able to make it for that one, but uh, it's a fun time catching up on all the action from World Superbikes. Um, as well as um, all, you know, all the action regarding BSB as well. Episode 78, Haslam Takes Flight with Greg Haynes is out as well. And episode 160 of Motorsport 101 is out as well. It is he, Leclerc. Thank God we recorded that one on Tuesday. Um, otherwise, we'd meet him <laughs> in big-ass trouble. Um, <laughs> um, and apparently, some guy called Adam Johnson filled in for my spot for the first time in 90 episodes. Adam Johnson is back. He took my spot for this for for last week's show, and uh, glad you guys were so excited about seeing him back, um, even if it was at my expense. I, I, I will I will openly admit I, I was very cool to see some of the reactions to that. I was like, oh my god, Johnson! Ah, <laughs> it was a nice surprise. So thanks to everyone who's been listening to all our shows over the last week. Much appreciated as well. If you want to catch us in other places, we're on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. A brand new video went up today um, from me, yours truly. Another Drake Beef episode talking about Nico Rosberg. Um, yeah, trust me, there is a good reason for it once you actually click the video and find out. Apparently, people really like it. So go over there and check it out if you haven't already. Um, I'm getting the, the, the feedback's been wonderful. So thank you all so much for your kind words. Um, on that one. Very, very much appreciated. Um, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and our personal handles are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and, that's, and at C the Hard A for Chris, who will be on in the second half of the show. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101, $5 gets you early access to both this show and our sister show, Bike Live. That, again, will be back later this week to review all of the World Superbike action um, from Portimao as Jonathan Ray took both wins yet again in Portugal. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Uh, And BSB's opening round of the showdown at Alton Park with Jake Dixon getting a pair of wins on that one. He's won at a place that isn't Knock Hill. Yay! As Leon Hazem had to come through the back in race one. A lot of rain. A, a pretty dramatic weekend by all accounts. Check it out if you haven't already. It should be on early access by the time this goes out. $10 as well gets you early access to our Discord server as well. We get in there. You can listen to these shows live as they go out, as a lot of you guys are doing right now. As I can see Cam, Brian, Joseph, and Jason all in here. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks, as always, for your support. Um, so, hope you guys enjoy the show. And without further ado, in this... Uh, whew, 
this musical interlude, we'll get back into my humility and uh, me basically self-flagellating over the Singapore Grand Prix. It, it was a fun time. Praise be to Dre. Praise be to me, goddammit. We just got to the. Ch- that happened. Yeah, yeah, it, it happened. It was a thing. Um, I'm going to cut to the chase here, folks. How fucking good was Lewis Hamilton's qualifying lap? God, that was so <laughs> good. He pulled that that 36. Oh, I was just like, yo, yo, that's grip hats. That's not possible. Yeah, that, that's that's like career highlight reel worthy. I know that they have uh, they've turned uh, the Singapore Sling corner from a chicane to a just a straight up corner in recent mm. years but to think of the fact that these cars are now uh 10 10 seconds a lap quicker than they were about this time 10 years ago damn it's crazy formula one comes at you fast it really does um let's just like i was watching at a friend's house um and you know watching you know watching the session as it as it happened our our collective jaws hit the ground like like, I don't know if you've ever seen the BBC clip during the Olympics when Usain Bolt ran 9.58 in Berlin in 2009. And they cut, because BBC's coverage has Michael Johnson on there as a pundit. They've had Michael Johnson for years. And there's a live reaction of Michael Johnson as it happens, and he is stunned into complete silence. That was me. <laughs> that, like, that was me. Um, like... And Michael Johnson's seen some things. <laughs> and, and I, I, that was me. I was like, wow. I looked at it and I just went, wow. I was like, yeah, he's the best driver on the planet. I, I, I can't... I, 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 was, there was nothing more I could say. I was just like, well, f- I was miserable. I was miserable for hours after that happened. I was, I sucked the life out of my own party. It was, uh, it was deflating. It's like, it says a lot. When Toto Wolf and the entire Mercedes pit crew had absolutely lost their marbles at that lap, they, I don't think even they knew at their most optimistic that that was possible. Like that was, yeah, nah, they didn't they know. They had no idea. No, this is a this is a this is a typical bogey track for for uh, for Mercedes at Silverstone. It has been for the last couple of years now. So for Lewis Hamilton to take pole position that convincingly with that lap, that was ominous if you're in the camp of feeling like right if sebastian vettel needs five out of the net seven from this point on <clears throat> that's kind of a setback i wonder who came out with that take um <laughs> fuck <laughs> um but, yeah like the, the like it, it was a weird setup for the weekend sebastian had hit the wall fairly hard in fp2 um, he lost a session's worth of running. The team was kind of on the back foot a little bit. Um, FP3, again, not the most convincing. Qualifying happens, and Sebastian's point six behind Lewis in, in third. Max Verstappen. And, and well played to Max. That was a stunning lap in his own right, in, in, in second place on the front row. Um, to be within point three of that Mercedes, that was a hell of a job from Max as well. But I was just sitting there thinking, well... <laughs> Well, we, we, we can get a place off the line, right? Right? And, uh, 
And to be fair, that is what happened mm. when the race started. It did. I mean, we again, it was a very similar situation to Spa. There was a big incident at Turbine, which we'll get to very shortly. But, uh, you know, Vettel did get a good launch, was able to run it side by side, used the battery boost down the stretch towards turn six, did get ahead of Verstappen, missed seconds before the safety car pulled out because there was an incident down at turn three, which was... Sergio Perez running it a little bit wide off the apex of turn three and not realizing or realizing but doing it anyway that Esteban Ocon, his teammate, was running around the outside of him. Uh, he hit. He hits Ocon. Ocon goes into the wall, and Singapore's 100% record of safety cars is safe for another year. <laughs> and we got it literally 25 seconds into the race. Where to go, guys? Where to go? Um, <laughs> Um, so that was fun. Uh, more on Sergio Perez later. But uh, the race, I mean, it was a very, I don't know about you, King, watching this, but it was a very bizarre first 15, 20 laps of that race where Hamilton was deliberately driving very slowly for the first eight or nine laps, trying to, quote unquote, save the tyre. And then I think it was about lap nine where he just puts his foot down and it's like, he's all of a sudden, he's two seconds quicker. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> It's like, okay, I'm now going to stretch the field and see if you can keep up with me. And nobody really could. And it forced Ferrari into a big error. I mean... I think it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't only Lewis trying to save the tires. Where, where it felt like a lot, of, a lot of drivers were racing to a strategy. Where they were making mm. sure that their tires lasted to a certain margin. Then they knew that they could push. And when Lewis got the opportunity to push... No one can keep up with them. Yeah, if, if you think this race is sounding very un-Singapore so far, you'd be right. Um, <laughs> it, it was that sort of Grand Prix. But yeah, it was. everyone was making sure the one-stoppers weren't going to work. We get to about lap 15 after the safety car comes in, and Ferrari blinks. They put Sebastian in, um, um, and they, they put him off the laps. They put him on the ultra-soft tyre. Seb comes out pretty quickly and says these tires are not going to make the end. So Ferrari clearly is thinking two stopper. Um, yeah, the because prop- uh, yeah, because yeah. the uh, the ultra softs were looking uh, were looking pretty rubbish in uh, qualifying phases. Uh, if anybody was trying to start the race in the top ten on ultra softs by trying to qualify them on Q two, uh, that quickly fell apart. It almost put the Ferraris out before we even got to Q three. Mm-hmm. Oh dear! It was like normally with like Peretti got this one so wrong this weekend. It was irritating in the sense of there was no real room for strategy during this entire weekend. It was one it stop. Really it was wasn't there was there was nowhere to go on this one. The, as Cam points out on the Discord, the Ultrasoft didn't have pace and it didn't have longevity because Vettel completely dropped off in the last 10 laps of the race. He ended up finishing 40 seconds behind race winning Hamilton in the end. And, like, what was the point of the ultra-soft tyre? There was no point to it. It couldn't go long to make it or to make a one-stopper more aggressive. Singapore and the fact it as, as the track itself, the tyre wear was, was so up and down that a one-stopper was the only feasible strategy, and track position was king here. Uh, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> but 
what was the point of the Optus? As, as, as RJ pointed out, they tried to they, like Ferrari tried to use it in Q two to qualify in the Optus of tight, and it did not work. It, it did not work at all. Like they were two seconds a lap slower than the Hypersoft tire. So what the hell was Pirelli doing on this one? Um, and also, also to your point, um, another driver who went Hypersoft or Ultrasoft was Daniel Ricciardo, who finished forty five seconds back of his teammate Verstappen in sixth place. Yeah, he went hyper ultra, and that did not work either. He, his pace was great, but what's the point if you can't pass anybody? Um, yeah. So, Typically, yeah. the undercut works at a place like this. It does. But yeah, this time uh, Vettel just came out behind Matt's Verstappen and couldn't pass him. And you know where the damage was done? Ferrari got their numbers wrong. The key man in this, and for most of the race, was Sergio Perez. Lewis Hamilton had to make sure he had a 30-second 30 30 gap on Sergio Perez to come out and stay ahead of Perez on track. Ferrari did not count for this. They were two or three seconds back of Hamilton when, Ferrari, when, 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 when Vettel came in. He came out in relatively clear air, but on, on those ultrasofts on the first lap, he was about five seconds quicker than Sergio, but he couldn't overtake him. So he lost a bucket load of time having to wait until a lap came by again before he could pass Sergio into turn one. By that point, the damage had already been done. And by the time he's gotten clear, the, the best of the ultras are gone. And he comes out side by side with Max Verstappen. And Verstappen comes out a nose in front, um, given he has the racing line on the apex for turn three. And that was for, that was the end of Ferrari's race, effectively. Um, Ferrari letting their main title challenger fall behind by getting their numbers wrong by doing the undercut in a pit stop. Where have I seen this in recent years? Hmm. 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 Ferrari blow a strategy. What a surprise. Um, this never happens around here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what happened here, folks. Um, it's 29 seconds, roughly, for a stop in Singapore. The lower, the lower pit lane speed limit and and the, the longer run-in is the main reason why. And Merck's got their numbers right. They realized 30 was the magic number to come out ahead of Checo and put out in clean air. Ferrari didn't didn't compensate for that, and it cost them dearly. Because after that, Vettel's on, a, he's on an Ultrasoft that was not guaranteed to make the end. Grip-wise, it completely hit the cliff with about 10 laps to go and had no chance of getting anybody else after that. It was it, The race was effectively done from the front three. After that, um, there was a second group there of, of Valtteri Bottas in, in fourth, who was just trying to hold on in front of Kimi Raikkonen and Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo, I remember at one point he was easing off and then trying to come back again with his, with his fresher tyres, trying to find a way around, but dirty air, too strong around Singapore, just could not find a way through. Um, yeah. He sounded like a baited man after his race, if you checked out his mm. uh, social media posts. He's, he sounds like somebody who is just really, really looking forward to getting to his new job. Yeah, that was the Instagram post of someone that really did not seem happy. Um, he, he just looked deflated. He was he, he, he was he was pessimistic after qualifying because he was point nine off the top and he was in sick. He was a poor qualifying from Ricardo by his standards and then the race could not do anything to improve his position. He was on the most aggressive strategy of the lot um, and, again, was not able to make that work, didn't find a way around anybody. And he, 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 just, he looked like a deflated dude, which, 
to say of Daniel Ricciardo of all people is a sad indictment of the situation at Red Bull where even Max is now starting to steal his thunder and Max had an awful start of the year um, and Verstappen had probably his best driver of the season so far to finish in a very comfortable second in the end um, had a great weekend Max and Ricciardo just, mm-hmm. uh, just nowhere to be found all weekend long effectively but uh, I mean Again, we we spoken about Hamilton a bit already. That was his 69th nice race victory <laughs> um, uh, from a stunning pole position. Um, he drove magnificently, was perfect pretty much all weekend. Did what he could, got the job done, and now has a 40 point championship lead with six rounds to go. Now, for those who are slow on the maths, let me put it to you this way. If Sebastian doesn't win at Sochi next weekend, most likely it's out of his hands. And Vettel will have to clean sweep the rest of the of the season to win by two. Best case scenario. Um, it's like the fat lady's not singing, but she's warming up the vocal cords. Let's put it that way. Um, the spray's going in, and yeah, if you look at the rest of the rounds on the calendar... They yeah. they tend to be Mercedes tracks. Yeah, let's uh let's run it down here because somebody else did the work for us. Russia, Mercedes have won every race. Japan, Mercedes have won every race since 2014. USA, won one Mercedes since 2014. Mexico, Mercedes have won two of the last three. Brazil, Mercedes have won three of the last four. Abu Dhabi, been won by Mercedes since 2014. And Vettel needs all these races to claim the World Drivers Championship by two points, assuming Lewis Hamilton finishes second in all six. Oh, God. And I'd like to remind you that Lewis Hamilton has dropped just 14 points in his last six races. At the rate he's going, he's going to break Seb's all-time points record from 2013, which stands at 397. Um, okay, there's two extra rounds, but it's still a mighty impressive feat. Like, the, like we mentioned it after, after the last round at Monza that Hamilton just doesn't make mistakes on on that sort of level, and this was just like it was a sad thing to. Watch. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I wasn't too dejected at finishing third. Okay, I get it. Like this was this was a golden goose round for Ferrari. This was the round where. No, take that back. I am actually a bit pissed off now. I think about it. <laughs> like. <laughs> Like last year, this was the round that Ferrari was circling. This was the golden goose. This was the round. It's like, okay, our season campaign starts at Singapore because that is a round that they have generally been above the curve on since the hybrid era began. It's more more so 2015 onwards since Vettel joined the team. Last year was meant to be the round that they were going to get up there. They they started first and they started first and third. You know, last year. It looked like a paper was going to be the one. We we all know what happened next. Post race sandwich. Um, this year, they they were poor in qualifying. They were nowhere in the race. There was a bad strategy call. They've blown it again. Like I I I I I I I want answers. I want answers from this team. Like I want answers for Monza after putting Kimmy giving Kimmy the toe for seemingly no good reason, right? I still think what happened on lap one was a racing incident. And, you know, I'm not holding anybody to that as much as every 
news outlet on earth now seems to be saying, oh, look at all these mistakes Vettel has made. Look, look, he would have absolutely, like, ESPN put out a piece saying that Vettel would have had a 70-point lead if everything had gone his way. Like, of all the quote-unquote mistakes that he's made this season, half of which were more team screw-ups than screw-ups from Vettel himself, right? Like, trying to work out best-case scenario because, you know... People, people like clicks, uh, and the, the the new narrative now is that oh, you know, Mercs have been the underdogs all year long, apparently, and that Ferrari have had the best car out of the box, <laughs> like, which is complete bullshit. <laughs> like, like, I, I, I want to pull my eyes out, King. Mercedes, the underdog. Mercedes, the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one, good one. Best laugh I've had all year. <laughs> I find it ba- I find this baffling. Like, if anyone's seen my curious cat inbox, it has been riddled with people trying to troll me, saying that oh, Ferrari's had the best car. It's like, where? Like, okay, not like are we forgetting Hamilton probably should have won in Australia. They definitely should have won in Austria. Like, they were unlucky not to win in Bahrain and in China due to the timing of the safety car in China as well. Like, Hamilton was gifted Baku. Like, that was a gift from the gods on that one that he won that race. Given that Hamilton was pretty poor all weekend, right? Only a handful of rounds can I say without a question that Ferrari had the strongest car. Canada, for example. Belgium, sure. You can have that one, right? Like... I just find it mind-boggling that we're like people are sitting here with a clear conscience saying that Mercedes have been on the back foot all year long. They have Lewis Hamilton. They are never on the back foot. He is the best driver of this era. Like for God's sake, it's it's ridiculous. I, I, I it's ridiculous, and this team frustrates me. And I want answers. I want someone to be held accountable for this season. Because don't get me wrong. It's not as clear-cut as Ferrari should have the best car and be cakewalking this. But they've had goof after goof after goof. And it's going to cost them both championships, most likely. They're now 37 behind in the Constructors' fight, too. Like, and Valtteri has not had the best of luck this year, either. Raikkonen has actually been a solid contributor. And, ugh, King, help me out here. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's everyone trying to make this seem more of a competition than it is because, number one, you could always claim that Ferrari has the best car because they could also claim that Sebastian Vettel isn't the best driver. And it's pretty much people rationalizing to themselves that this is competitive. That's an F1 thing, isn't it? We're always trying to pull in hope of you know, a miracle result or a miracle outcome. And, like, I wholeheartedly concede. Hamilton's probably 2% better than Seb at this point. And I have no problem admitting that. Um, but I think people wanted wanted to believe the Ferrari story so much. So much so that I was lining up the Church of Dre for apologies um, during the race itself because, hey, I told you this was going to happen. I tried to tell you. Praise be to Dre. I tried to tell you guys, like, honestly, like, I don't normally massage my own ego on this show too much. Don't laugh in the back. Um, but at the same time, like, I actually had about a dozen people tweet me saying, Dre, we're really sorry for believing the hype. And, of course, I became church pastor. Pastor Dre. 
Bastard Dre's out here telling people, you know what, I forgive you. Because the Church of Dre preaches forgiveness. May you never fall for this illusion again. Praise be. Praise be. Praise be to Dre. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, though. Sebastian looked like a beaten man after that race. You could see it on the podium. You could see it after the race. I know a lot of that is down to Singapore being so exhausting, given it's an hour 50 race in ridiculous humidity and heat conditions. And he looked like a beaten dude on that podium. He really did. Like, I I, I think we under undervalue the mental battle of, of being in an F1 title fight. Now looking back, and this is not just a shameless brief for, plug for my Dre Brief video, like, I can now totally understand why Nico Rosberg retired early. Um, good lord. Um, one year of this title fight has made Vettel look like yeah. he's aged five years. Nico Rosberg had three of these. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Being, being, being a Formula One driver is very hard. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> Shall we talk a little bit more about someone that cracked over the weekend? Uh, yeah, I guess should we, we should. We... Sergio. Sergio Checo. Um, my friend, someone who I've supported since um, since roughly 2012. Checo, what happened to you, buddy? What's what's wrong? Tell us what's tell us what's on your mind. Um, tell us what's happening. It sounds like there's a lot. It looks like there's a lot going on. So as we alluded to. Um, Sergio Perez got into his own teammate Esteban Ocon, which now brings shades of 2017, where the two Force Indias, two racing points, just simply could not play nice with each other, peaking at points at Canada and Baku and Belgium to an extent. Now you have that backup, and Racing Point uh, team principal Otmar Safnauer is basically saying, yeah, if these two cannot race together uh, cleanly, then we're going to have to put team orders back in. But that wasn't the end of Sergio Perez's awful, no good, terrible, no good, very bad Singapore Grand Prix. Um, he found himself, um, he got screwed up in pit strategy as well. He got bottled up behind the Williams of resident fun haver Sergei Sorotkin. Um, and as Perez and Sorotkin were trying to contest position, um, Perez goes, uh, goes for the pass. Um, he thinks he's cleared Sorotkin and moves over and punctures his own left rear tire, earning a drive-through penalty in the process for very avoidable contact if he steered right into the path of the Williams and ended up finishing the day in 16th. Having started 7th, Racing Point Force India coming away with no points on the weekend and Sergio Perez looking like... Mm, like someone who was not qualified to drive an F1 car. Yeah, that was that was awful driving. That's the worst I've ever seen Perez drive. No question. Like that like people were like Brundle was looking to to give him a cop out for turn one. Esteban had every right to have his car there. That one was completely on Checo. I know Checo tried very hard to make it seem like um like oh Grosjean nudged him. He didn't. He'd see, he looked in his windows, he saw Ocon around the outside, and the sad thing is, you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, it's like the third time Checo has done this to his teammate now. Like, he did it at Baku last year, almost ex exact same scenario, 
and he did it down towards Radalon. Well, at least I think that's what corner it is after turn one. Spa. No, no, no. The internet seems to be unsure these days. Um, and on the run down to Radalon at Spa, he bumped Ocon into the wall that day too. Like, why does Checo keep doing this to his teammate? I do not understand. Like, like, like. It's 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 bizarre from from Perez, and this one on Sorokin was worse than any of the other ones that had come before it. That that looked intentional to me, and apparently, Mikasalo, who was the driver's representation of the stewarding panel this weekend, was apparently pushing quite hard for a black flag. They they wanted to take Perez off the track. They 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 settled for a drive through penalty, which. I think is about right. I mean, okay, in a vacuum, I think that's fine because that was reckless from Perez at best. But, I mean, King, Black Flag, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I would say I'd probably have done a drive-through, maybe, like, a, a, like, a stop and go. But, like, a Black Flag seems a bit harsh considering how early in the race it was. Say it happened, like, ten laps later, yeah, I would have given a Black Flag without a doubt. Yeah, and the thing is, as well, Esteban Ocon has enough to worry about as is. You know, it's looking more and more likely that he won't be in a job. He's going to be the odd man out because uh, because Sergio Perez saved Racing Point from, from going under, and so too has Lance Stroll's father, Lawrence. So looking, so it's looking like Ocon is running out of options very, very soon. It looks like the only one he might realistically have is not the best one you could probably aspire to if we're just counting 2018 right. as a benchmark. He's got enough to worry about without, you know, his own teammate running into him. Again. Yeah, again. And, um, yeah, that was an ugly one. I'm, I'm agree with Cam in the Discord. I think, given the penalty for Sebastian Vettel in Baku last year for his, for his uh, gentle nudge of Lewis during that safety car, given the, similar, sim, given the similarity of the incident, I think 10 seconds stop and go would have been the way to go on that one. But um, I can see the argument for a black flag. I can definitely see it because... Perez puts his foot down, sees Sorokin in his mirror, and then turns into him. It's, it's, it, 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 the cynical among you will definitely say that looked intentional. It's a bad look. It's a really bad look. Um, I don't know on that one. Like, like that is, you could go anywhere from from ten seconds to black flag, and I could, I can, I can make a case for it, but. Yeah, Perez gets three penalty points in his license for the trouble as well. And Universal, you drove like a bonehead comments on social media. Totally fair, by the way. Um, also, shout out to Romain Grosjean, who now all of a sudden has nine penalty points on his license after picking up another two for ignoring blue flags during race. It was probably the most dramatic moment of the race that wasn't off the start line. Um, Grosjean is battling Sergei Sorokin out there, um, and the leaders of Hamilton and Verstappen are coming. There's a, there's a massive traffic jam coming through because the, everyone seemed to cut. All of a sudden, King, the Great Wall of Sorokin had turned up in Singapore, and he was refusing to move over for anybody, um, which was amazing to see. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Professional fun haver, Sergei <laughs> Sorokin. He was having a fun time for everybody involved, and became basically a walking roadblock and uh, Grosjean was in the middle of a fight for position 
He did not get out of the way straight away when Hamilton and Verstappen came up. So much of Verstappen tried a cheeky move um, into the into the former sling. Hamilton had to block pass it. Like, no, 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 you're not coming through. It could have been curtains on another day. Luckily, Max drove well on this one and ignored the uh, red mist that was descending um, around him. But uh, uh, Grosjean got a five-second time penalty for it and two penalty points in his license. I mean, King... Given it was an on-track battle for position, am I the one who thinks that's a little harsh? Uh, yeah. Especially at a track where there are not a lot of places to move over. There is a yeah. lot of one-groove track at Singapore. If you're moving order over, chances are it's likely into a barrier or into a safety runoff. And yeah, if it pretty much... You'd, ha- you'd have to pull over to literally the opposite side of the track and pretty much compromise your yeah, entire race. Yeah, it's not an ideal place for moving over and letting the back marker through. Let's put it that way. I, f- I think that was a harsh penalty. Um, okay, it didn't really have an outcome on Grosjean's result, really, but the two penalty points for a guy that already had seven is a bit precarious. Grosjean's driving standards has not been good this this year at all, and he's now three, ra- three points away from a one-race suspension. Um, which is uh, not ideal at all on that one, but uh, a harsh one, if you ask me. A little bit more about Sorokin. I don't think he'll get there. Vettel had nine last year. I don't think he'll get there. No, let's talk about Sergei Sorokin some more. Yo, Sergei Sorokin almost won driver of the day. Of course, because he wasn't fighting (laughs) in the front, I guess fans just defaulted. Sure, Max, why not? Max, he, he was there. He showed up. Give him driver of the day. To be fair, there wasn't one outstanding candidate here, like across the board. Like people said, Sorokin. My argument against that would be he also ran Brendan Hartley near the wall and got a five-second penalty of his own, um, which was a bit silly. Mm. Due to some of the alternative two-stop strategies through the field, Alonso had no competition for seventh um, whatsoever um, on that occasion. Um, it it was a. Really Dull race, guys. Like, there's, there's no, there's no getting around it. Um, yeah. yeah. This was, uh, this, um, this. I give this one a solid. Um, I give this one a solid two. Uh, Paul Lim missed nine darter attempts out of yeah, five. Yeah, that, that seems about right. That was my score. <laughs> that seems about right. Uh, but hey, in brighter news, Kevin Magnussen, who was terrible all race and all weekend long, got the fastest lap of the race. Yay, K Mag. Yeah, they just said they just said fuck it. Put a new set of hypersofts on, and was like, "Here you go, Kevin. Go for that fastest lap," which at one point belonged to Daniel Ricciardo, and then belonged to Fernando Alonso because reasons. In that McLaren, <laughs> because yeah. reasons, because reasons. Um, yeah, for me, this was like a four out of ten race. Like this race for me was, I said it on Twitter at the time, it was. The walk-in metaphor of everything I can't stand about the current on-track F1 product. Dirty air out the ass. That wasn't that. That was more than evident during this race. No one could pass each other to save their lives unless the the time delta was two seconds apart, which is just mental. The blue flags were crazy. Like you had to be within one point two to get the blue flag warning, and Valtteri was pissed at the end of that race because he had no pace. To, to, to put a lap on Nico Hulkenberg. Ouch, to say the least on that one. Um, and tyre management is not sexy to watch, people. It just isn't. Because when you suddenly can see they can, they can go two seconds a lap quicker and you get funky moments like Kevin Magnussen and Fernando Alonso setting fastest laps, 
it just makes you go, well, this isn't a nice view to watch. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go again. I'm 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 not against tire management, but that's too much tire management. Exactly. When you could see the visual difference between a hot lap and a guy that's losing tenths of tenths of a, of a second per sector in saving tires, it doesn't make for a good spectacle. The tires were too soft this weekend. The Ultrasoft was completely redundant as a tire all weekend long. It was completely unnecessary. It was a like Pirelli got this one badly wrong. And yeah, it it led to a topsy turvy sort of wacky race that turned out really boring. And there was no room for strategy. There was no room to, to think outside the box. And Lewis Hamilton won won the race on Saturday night with that stunt that stunning pole position lap. And it led to a pretty boring yeah. race, unfortunately. Yeah. Full, yeah. If yeah. Uh, yeah, if the tables had been turned, if this was Vettel walking over the weekend, this would still be a boring race. But it didn't even have the benefit of like, oh, now this is bunching the championship backup together. In fact, it's actually doing the opposite. It's pulling everything apart again. Not- yeah, because that's kind of been like the saving grace of Formula One, where it's like the race could be boring, but it could still have championship implications. This has neither. No, this has neither. If anything, it's doubled down on Lewis Hamilton, who may not have even had the best car this weekend, but we'll never really know because of all the time management and the fact that being at the front of the queue made you win. Simple as that. Because you could dictate the pace. I mean, it sums it up well. Was it in Park Ferme after the race? David Crofty did a sort of solid by shutting up for more than 10 seconds and letting the drivers talk. Lewis Hamilton was being very kind to Max Verstappen, saying, oh, your pace was good, wasn't it? And then Verstappen goes, well, yeah, but you could dictate the race. <laughs> and and that was the story of the race. Verstappen's got it, Verstappen got it in one. Like, it was the guy at the front was able to dictate the terms of the race, and that is how Singapore played out. And I'm not entirely sure I want that to be how F1 is. I would like to see a faster car be able to come past. But... That's Singapore for you. That's the Pirelli tyre situation for you. And cues are fun. Here's a full rundown on the result real quick. Lewis Hamilton winning in the end by 8.9 seconds from Max Verstappen in second. Sebastian Vettel, as mentioned, Yiltsov's were completely gone by the, by lap 50. He finished 39 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton at the front. Valtteri Bottas was another 12 seconds further back in fourth. He backed up a nice little cue of him. Kimi Raikkonen in fifth and Daniel Ricciardo in sixth. Fernando Alonso wins the Formula 1.5 race in 7th place there, just a mere 50 seconds behind any other form of civilization. Nice to see Fernando was out for a nice casual Sunday drive in 7th place. Ahead of his uh, fellow compatriot from Spain, Carlos Sainz Jr. in 8th. Good result from him. Charles Leclerc back in the points. Good to see in 9th place for Sauber. Shout out to him. Nico Hulkenberg in 10th for Renault. So both Renault's in the points again for the first time in a while. Marcus Ericsson, who tried a late stop, couldn't quite get back up to Hulkenberg in the end. He finished 11th. Um, one of Sauber's best results of the year as a team all-in, I would say. That's a good that's a good weekend for Sauber. Yeah, a really good, good week- weekend. Good weekend for Sauber. Stoffel Van Dorn, good result from him in 12th. Which is kind of sad to say about Stoffel these days, but hey, that's what it is. Pierre Gasly in 13th place. Lance Stroll in 14th for Williams. Good effort, Lance. Really good effort. Um, Grosjean in 5th, as mentioned, the 5-second time penalty as well for ignoring blue flags. Checo after Armageddon, or should it be Carmageddon, I guess, in this case, in 16th place. Brendan Hartley was 17th. Yeah, he was mad on Twitter as well. He said he could have had 11th or 12th, but unfortunately, this, this strategy of running long did not work out in 17th place in the end. Kevin Magnussen 
Really bizarre off-key weekend for KMAG. Really bizarre down there in 18th place. Um, just was knocked out in Q1 as well. Very odd to see Kevin that far behind. Um, very odd on that one in 18th. Sergei Sorokin, who had fun and was second in the driver of the day about it. God bless him. Taking one for the team in 19th for Williams. And crazily enough to say, in Singapore, just one retirement. And as mentioned, Esteban Ocon, whose race ended at turn Championship standings, Lewis Hamilton now 40 points in front with just 150 left on the table ahead of Sebastian Vettel, 281 to 241. In the fight for the bronze medal, Kimi Raikkonen is still holding on to third ahead of Valtteri Bottas by three points, 174 to 171. And Max Verstappen, Max Verstappen's actually closing them in a little bit now. Verstappen with his second place is now on 148. He's 22 ahead of the miserable Daniel Ricciardo in sixth on 128. Hulkenberg hanging on to the lead in the Formula B table. Three points ahead of Fernando Alonso. Now he has 53. Alonso with 50. K-Mag on 49. Perez on 46. And Esteban still on 45. Constructor standings. Mercedes now 37 points in front with 4.52 to Ferrari's 4.15. The no man's land of the energy drink supplies in third on 2.74. Renault extending their lead in fourth over Haas. A big weekend for Renault there, given that Haas, Haas was clawing them in. But uh, Haas has now not scored a point for two weekends. Not ideal. 91 for Renault, 76 for Haas. McLaren gets some points back on the board due to Fernando Alonso's very solid seventh place there. His six points puts them up to 58. And yeah, the Racing Point Force India hype train took a big derailment at Singapore there in their hump. There. I mean, they get, they gave themselves a goal this weekend that they're trying to get up into fifth to, to by the end of the season. They just came through with a double donut with uh, one car not finishing and the other one driving like a headless chicken in 32. Toro Rosso still on 30. Sauber up to 21. So they are, they are closing back in on Toro Rosso a little bit now with 21 points. And Williams still at the bottom with seven. Formula One returns next weekend. Race itself September 30th for the Russian Grand Prix at Sochi. So... Should we get into a little... Praise be to Putin. Praise be to yes. Putin. Praise be to me. For uh, I, hate, I hate it when I'm right sometimes. I really am. But uh, after this quick break, we'll be back for the IndyCar season finale at Sonoma. Should we first get into the news? Yeah, we'll get into the news first. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do the news first. Yes. yes, we'll do the news first. Sure. RJ, take it away, mate. Uh, yes. Let's start with our. Uh, let's start with our news. Um, we have uh, we have new concept designs for 2021. What will the future of Formula One look like? Well, we got a clips over it over the past weekend. Um, it certainly looks like concepts. If these uh, if these pictures of what Formula One may become in the future. By the way, shout outs to them rendering this um, going backwards at Daytona International Speedway. <laughs> that is quite the thing. If you've 
Yeah. If you've seen the uh, the photos here, this is basically just a rendering of what Formula One's new regulations might look like when we see them applied in 2021. Um, obviously, much different aero designs, a much more simplified front, front wing. Um, the concepts themselves look up. Uh, you know, there's also, you've got a more, uh, yeah, there's, I see a much more aesthetically pleasing um, upgrade to the halo that still does the job. Um, how do we feel about this? They look nice, but let me just get this out of the way now. This is a concept, so which means that there's no way in hell it's actually going to look like this. <laughs> as cynic, as I, I don't want to be the cynical one here. That's normally King's job. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, unless they mandate any regulations that the car has to look exactly like that, it's not going to look like that. <laughs> I love the camp in the Discord, and all the aero engineers laughed. <laughs> <laughs> have fun with that one right. fellas you know um i'd love them to look like this i, I really would but because i think i think it looks cool as shit um but let's be real here they're concepts for a reason there's a reason why gran turismo concept never took off as a game um as a spin-off to the main series because they just don't make these cars in the end and it's going to be pretty much i reckon it's going to be pretty toned down from this but you know a guy can dream right you know and yeah I think it'll be good that uh, they adopt some styling cues from this at least. Sure. We just gotta hope that the racing is good. I think uh, the much more simplified front wing piece, I'm only counting maximum three elements at sure. the front. That, that's promising. You know, the, the, those rear wings are thick. Um, <laughs> to say the least as well, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but there's a lot going on there. I mean, I'd love to see them look like this. Um, but realistically, I know they're not really going to look like that unless um, like, unless they really do push for that and the rules, um, as much as I would love to see it. Um, I also must admit, a lot of Formula restarting cues in that one as well. Um, <laughs> if you've seen some of the Gen 2 cars coming through on that one. Um, spicy, I think, I, I, think, uh, I think is one way of looking at it. <laughs> Though not as spicy as some Formula E uh, multimedia tweets implying that new BMW Formula E driver Alexander Sims is going to flirt with and then have sats with his new teammate Antonio Felix Acosta. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> to be fair, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Inherently, we just, nothing wrong we just with don't it. It's expect a... that in a professional <laughs> setting. Yes. <laughs> so in other words, no bonking in the office, eh, King? <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Why, Archie, why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> I've lost my composure now, holy shit. Well, to be fair, it's it's better... You don't want to look up the reasons why uh, Mario Kart and Toad have been trending. No! 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 no. And, uh... And- and speaking of this, and speaking on much less disturbing notes, uh, and this one's actually in Dre's wheelhouse. Uh, Formula One have signed off rights to allow uh, sports betting sponsorships in the sport. Whew. Is this is, is this is this the part where everybody looks at me? It's like you know, guy who works for professional bookmakers on a full time level as a manager. Yeah, yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is definitely becoming a trend. I'm not surprised. This is news law. My my first thought was, what took them so long? Um, quite frankly, because 
Bernie Ecclestone. Yeah, well, again, not a surprise. Um, <laughs> I love that Chris in the background goes, I just looked up Mario Kart and Toad on Twitter. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yes. Uh, Formula One has completed one of the biggest commercial moves in its history, writes uh, Murad Ahmed of the Financial Times. With a deal for more than 100 million U.S. dollars to sell sponsorships to betting companies, signaling a radical shift for the sport under its new ownership. Bernie Ecclestone, who ran Formula One for almost 40 years before Liberty Media's takeover, refused to accept endorsements from betting groups, believing they would tarnish the sport's glamorous interest <laughs> image. Ooh. But, uh, mm. but Sean Th- Bratches, manager and director of F1's commercial operations, described the deal as a fan-centric move, as millions of viewers had grown accustomed to gambling partnerships in other sports. He's right. Yeah. And to say it's against F1's, like, image. like, gla- like image, it's completely false. Because, if, like, if you read any stories of, like, the early Monaco Grand Prix, there used to be betting stands lined around the circuit. And during one of the early races, there was a shock leader in the race. Because you could, you could place bets until, like, I believe, like, lap 25 in a 100-lap race. And, like, there was a shock leader. And there were fucking fans trying to riot and, like, saying this is fixed and tear down the betting stands. Yeah, and while I'm not... And do I not recall that in the early to mid-2000s, Bernie was just trying his hardest to get teams like Minardi out of the sport because they ruined his image of the sport. Wasn't MotoGP, like, several rounds, in fact, sponsored by B-Win? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. Now, yeah, I mean, again, I'm saying this here in the background. Hi, everybody. Hi, hi guy who actually works for a bookies um, is in here. Um, for those guys that don't know, I, I'm a full disclosure, I'm a shop manager at William Hill in West London, so again I, I, I kind of know a little bit about stuff. I'm one of these guys that is a nerd and looks on every news page just to pass the time but it's, it's not a surprising move at all. It's It's been like in this country alone, it is becoming a trend where more and more bookies are sponsoring more and more sports events in general. Like this, just last week, my own company announced that Anthony Joshua is now a quote-unquote William Hill ambassador, uh, which is a really nice way of saying we're sponsoring all his fights. Um, basically, don't ask, don't ask the boxing community about uh, about an ambassador for Rich Energy. Yes, like that was last week they announced. Yeah, we're, we're, we're Willie, like, and Anthony Joshua is now a, a William Hill ambassador. Joining guys like Freddie Flintoff, the cricket player, and Robbie Savage, who's been a, the face of the company for quite some time. Um, Tony McCoy, the jockey as well, another, another quite common name. But, like, they are sponsoring more and more sports events. Like, the World Snooker Championship is now sponsored by Betfred. Every darts major is sponsored by at least one bookies, you know. The Betway Premier League and, for example, the William Hill World Darts Championship. Now, now, I, I'm not saying that a certain betting company should do this, but it would be fun if we were the official motorsports podcast of a betting company. I'm not saying which one, but but they'll yeah, know. You know. Just you know, other bookies are available. Just 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 throwing that out. There. Uh, DraftKings, DraftKings, hit us <laughs> up. <laughs> Drafting. Gotta gotta get the Americans. Yeah, get the Americans. If, if, if F1's not going to embrace America, we will. Um, quite frankly, but uh, no, like 
it's becoming a trend where more and more bookies are pouring more and more money into sponsoring sports events. It's happened. It's happened in darts across the board. It's happened in snooker across the board. More and more Premier League football teams. I think almost half the Premier League, if not about eleven or twelve teams in the Premier League, are do now have a betting company either on the front of their shirt or on the name of their stadium, like Leicester, the King Power Stadium, yeah. or. Um, Stoke City yeah. Bet365 Stadium or you know it, it, it goes on and on and on where bookies are now putting more and more money yeah. back into sports which is eyebrow yeah. raising to say this because a lot of these bookies aren't exactly kosher but um, mm. it's a big yeah. thing yeah and of course there will there will still be places where you cannot market sports betting um, Italy Australia uh, Japan are three places that immediately come to mind Italy and Australia also mentioned in this Financial Times article yep. Yeah, they, 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 they're they not keen on this old bookies thing. And you know what? The UK is going for its own betting eyebrow raiser because their fixed odds betting terminals, their gaming machines, have been limited from £100 a spin to £2 a spin. And that came through earlier this year and it drew a lot of heat. Like, the high street bookies is in a bit of trouble. I'd be the first person to tell you that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. So keep half an eye on that one if you, if you, if you, in case you start seeing you know, pit stop betting from Autosport on the side of an F1 car next year. Just throwing that out there. I still can't believe that's a fucking thing. But, um... Yeah, that, that that's yeah, an that's issue. A big fucking conflict of interest. But, uh, you know, more on that as as time goes on. But, uh, hey, we've got a bit of IndyCar news in here. Hooray! This is mostly just driver signings. Um, Fred Watch is at, uh, is at a Category Blue, uh, it's it's more of a fret watch. It, there's no fret warning here, in effect. Um, this is mostly just uh, drivers re-signing. Takuma Sato's back with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing for 2019. Uh, that was the most recent announcement, followed up aftering Spencer Piggott returning to Ed Carpenter Racing for the full 2019 season as well. Good to hear. I mean, both are pretty no-brainer. Sato's had a very good season for Arwell, only a handful of points behind Graham Rahal in the championship standings in the end, and um, Spencer Piggott, who's had a handful of great results for ECR this year, and glad he's finally getting some time on ovals again as well, where he's now becoming the spearheading force of that team, so great to see both of them re-signed, and again, both, in my opinion, no-brainers, so yeah, completely agreed on that one. RJ, talk about your mans. I listen. I've been waiting about a couple of days to do this. So if I'm gonna put it, I'm, I've got. If I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna introduce this segment, I've got to put on. I've got to channel it back to uh, the summer of 2006, uh, to the ITV commentary booth. <laughs> with James Allen on the call because they said he might probably win a super GT race. He's done it! <laughs> Jensen Button wins the Sugo 300-kilometer race! Get in there! Are, are you happy? Are, are, are you happy you got that off your chest now? <laughs> so the number 100 Raybird Honda NSX GT of Naoki Yamamoto and Jensen Button in an eventful uh, race at Sugo. That's always a track that seems to produce fun, fun Super GT races. 
They win from pole position. That's the third Honda win this season, the third Honda won two this season, and it puts both Yamamoto and Button into the lead of the GT500 championships by 12 points uh, with just two races to go. GT300 winners, the number 61 Subaru BRZ of Takato Aguchi and Hideki Imauchi. Great result for them considering they've retired with mechanical failures in three of the previous four races prior to this. So they were really happy that they could actually take the checker flag and win a race that they had pretty much dominated all weekend. I believe they led every session, practice both phases of knockout qualifying, the morning warm-up, and the race itself. Uh, please go and watch the race again on Nismo TV. It's a good time. Um, also, shout-outs as well to Jan Martinborough in the CalSonic GTR picking up his first Premier Class nice. podium with Daiki Sasaki in third place. That is very, very awesome to see. And just after his 27th birthday, no less. I feel old when you say Yamamoto is now 27. Good God. I feel <laughs> old. Lucas Ordonez won the GT Academy 10 years ago. How old do you feel now? <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, RJ, like, I, I think I've, I've turned into a shriveled prune back here. Like, I'm, I'm about to sign up. That was 10 years that ago. That was a decade ago? Fuck. <laughs> Oh my god, I, I, I think I just qualified for a bus pass, that's how old I now feel, holy shit. Um, oh god, okay, so while I step back into my TARDIS and go back 10 years and reverse some of this aging effect, should we talk about IndyCar and bring Chris in? That seems like a, that seems, that, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I'm, okay, back in the TARDIS. Okay, IndyCar Grand Prix with Sonoma. And uh, the season finale, indeed. And, of course, as mentioned at the top of the show, we have a special guest with us again. Chris Tahade is back. Hello, Chris. Uh, hey, everyone. Yeah, that was a, an interesting race, to say the least. I mean, especially with how it started on TV. I mean, we could go on for about 45 minutes on that, but... <sighs> I let's think, just summarize I, I, it. I, let's, let's put it this way. It was about as bad of a uh, cluster as you would expect from ABC, except that it was on NBC instead uh, with the NASCAR race running long. Um, yeah, it, w it was just not ideal. There was a lack of communication, which to me is very surprising, but it is what it is. Um, not ideal, not a deal at all. And by the time they had actually cut away to the start of the race... We had uh, we had just caught the residual aftermath of the critical moment of the race itself. And maybe that happened very very early. <laughs> yeah, the, the critical moment of the race, and maybe even the championship, if you want to put it like that. Because off the start line at Sonoma, Alex Rossi runs into the back of of his teammate Marco Andretti's car, damages the front wing, breaks a part of the suspension. Um, has to limp back to the pits, and by the end, and basically by the time they fix the car, Rossi is almost a lap down, um, and that effectively ended the chances of uh, Rossi winning the title right there and then. Um, and sadly, it wasn't on TV. Uh, yeah, we... well, it was on CNBC, unfortunately. Not on TV. Yeah, they just didn't. Yeah, they just didn't tell anybody to cut over to CNBC as the NASCAR race was running long, so long that I was starting to talk conspiracy theory that drivers were being told, hey, uh, any car's got a season finale, so if you could just uh, stick it up their backsides and start wrecking, that'd be great. 
It was not that heinous, by the way. And congratulations to Brad Keselowski for opening the playoffs with a victory. Very uh, Penske's 500th victory, which did not happen in IndyCar. Believe it or not. No, what a surprise. Like, <laughs> well done, Brad. First time he's won three in a row in his career as well. So well done, Brad Keselowski. Good, good job, Chipmunk. Right, back to IndyCar. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> the critical moment of the championship there, pretty much. Like, if anything, I think that would be like the, like, this is like the Alex Rossi race for me. That's how it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to sum up Alex Rossi's entire season in a race, it would be this. Like, because the thing was, we had we only had one caution in the race itself, and that was Graham Rahal's car Gra- died. Yeah, no. Graham Rahal stopped. We had he wasn't even a mechanical retirement. We had two of those. Takuma Sato um, had a spectacular blowout um, mm. very early on in the race, and Spencer Pickett also retired with mechanical issues. But that was it. In, in that was it, and that was that was the only caution of the day, and it had come just after Alex Rossi had been through the pits, meaning it, it also put Alex Rossi back on the lead lap after going a lap down earlier on when and when the action lulled, um, Rossi had to get out of the way for Hunter Ray, who was under pressure in his own right in his fight with Scott Dixon for the lead. Um, more on that later. But uh, yeah, it put Rossi back on the lead lap, and uh, holy shit! When the when green flag went out, Alex Rossi drove like a man possessed. Um, how many was it, Chris? I think it was seventeen on track passes. I want to say yes, yes. I uh, tweeted out yesterday. Uh, Renault had the gall to say there were eleven overtakes in the entire Singapore Grand Prix last year, while Rossi had seventeen by himself. Uh, at Sonoma, a track which a lot of people say is difficult to pass on, and yeah, they're right, it is difficult to pass there, but when you have one driver that makes 17 passes at a track like Sonoma, uh, you know, you got a guy that's going to do whatever it takes to try and win the championship, and he absolutely sent it a couple of times, especially on Joseph Newgarden there once. Yeah, the, the Joseph Newgarden one on the final corner, probably the pick of the bunch on that one. He almost rammed Newgarden out of the way. It was, like as, as Cam mentions in the Discord chat, it was total commitment from Rossi pretty much the entire way round. Um, t- in, an incredible effort to try and save it, I have to say. Like, uh, he knew he was, his back was against the wall. He got the miracle caution that he needed to get back on the lead, back on the lead lap, which you don't get very many cautions around here. Um, due to the fact there is a there isn't a lot of on track passing and again the like the mechanical retirements are up there. Even as Cam mentioned, ran out of fuel going over the line as well. Um, that's how desperate they were on this one. Again, for, for the second time in, in, in two years, Rossi runs out of fuel going over the line. It was it was literally one hundred and one percent from Alex Rossi. Um, to uh, to come back from the from the back of the field to eventually finish in seventh place. It was a hell of an effort. Um not enough for the championship, of course, but a hell of a try from Alex Rossi. But, I mean, King, if there's ever a microcosm for Rossi's season, it would be spectacular speed, spectacular passes, but also some slight boneheadedness wheel-to-wheel, which probably, overall, was probably the reason why he wasn't close enough to win the title on this occasion. Yeah, it's mm, very unfortunate, like, you could say that he lost the title here. You could probably say that he also lost the title back yeah. in Detroit. There, there are a lot of places in the season where he clearly dropped points. Yeah, I think back to St. Petersburg. Yeah. That yeah. was that was a reckless move that 
cost him a shot at the win. Um, you know, that was the, the the points difference between second and third is pretty substantial. It's a it's a good ten points. So um, it was a good five point difference there. So that's that's another big swing in its own right. If if I may, oh, uh, speaking back to uh, St. Petersburg, before the race actually started, we did get a very lovely uh, social media post from a Mr. Robert Wickens. Yes, um, we did. Uh, basically telling everybody, hey, he's going to try and do everything he can to get back into the car and rehab as quick as possible. And to me, that was worth as much as any any pass in the race because it was great to see Robert uh, doing so uh doing well and uh, really just get a chance to see him you know I completely yeah. agreed um, it was it was one part scary just to see him in that hospital bed like that with the rehab going on with the big back brace and whatnot. but it was wonderful just to see him it was his first social media post since that awful wreck at Pocono and uh, yeah he's very positive very upbeat you know, as Chris mentioned, he's doing everything he can to get back in the car. In one of the previous SPM statements, they also said that Sam Schmidt will hold that number six seat down for him as long as it takes for him to come back, which is a wonderful gesture of commitment from Schmidt-Peterson on their part to say, this seat is yours, don't worry about your job, it's there for when you come back, which is a... Which in a in the cutthroat world of motorsport genuinely put a smile on my face because normally they'd be looking for a replacement long term. Of course, you know Carlos Munoz is filled in for the rest of this season and he's a very good driver in his own right and probably should be on this IndyCar field full time. Um, of course, not the most ideal circumstances to see him back on a track again by any stretch, but. You know, with participation going up, with you know the series burst into the seams of talent, it's nice to know that SPM are standing by Wickens, whatever whatever happens. And yeah, as as Chris said, wonderful to see him back on social media. And shout out to Carly, who, um, his fiance, that's doing all the social media work in the back um, as well. And uh, props to them for being so upfront about it, because I mean, shit, they put out the full list of injuries. Part of that still feels like a counter to Paul tracing, but you know. It's 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 great to see him keeping up. It, it, it was well worth you know any and all of the race itself just to see Wickens back. So once again, from all of us here, get well soon, Robert. We're all behind you, um, and we hope to see you in the number six car again as soon as possible. Whew. Um, rest of the race itself, I mean, a couple of interesting things to know. Ryan Hunter Ray completely dominated the entire weekend. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, we, we completely forgot yeah, about this. Like, the like, 80, like 80 out of 85 laps from pole position. What a performance that was from RHR. Yeah, he... he well, he brought the heat. Yeah. That's, that's right. This bad, this bad boy's got 32 grams of protein, and they're all staying at the front. <laughs> And the thing is, it wasn't just him. Andretti was strong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They had cars one, five, seven. Zach Veach was the lone straggler in 14th, but in some respects, he still had an impressive finish at the end of a season. Yeah. But goodness, what a race from Hunter Ray. With the damaged floor, by the way, that caused Veach a few hundred pounds of downforce. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he was driving with a broken race car the whole yeah, time. Yeah, Veach has come along super strong second half of the season. He's going to be one to watch for next year. So then as Joseph mentions in the chat, his car didn't catch fire. So that's a victory in itself. Um, <laughs> but yeah. 
Shout out Young VZ. Shout out Young VZ. The man is doing the Lord's work. Um, excellent season from Zach Veach. We'll talk more about that in next week's show because, hey, we're doing a full IndyCar season review. No- nice. Look forward to some of that soon. But yeah, a, a salute to Ryan Hunter Ray, who again was absolutely dominant um, in, in that race. Led 80 out of 85 laps from pole position. Uh, quick rundown. We'll get to some of the notable names as well in the list as we go. Um, Ryan Hunter Ray first, but let's talk about Scott Dixon, who finished in second with 80 points and enough to win his fifth Verizon IndyCar Series title, making him just the second man ever to win five. I mean, let's just cut to the chase here. This man is absolutely phenomenal. How does he keep doing this? He is utterly ridiculous. He is a machine, a robot, whatever you want to say. Scott Dixon's a monster. Like, he just keeps doing this. It is it is very telling when the uh, the worst result that he had was a one-off at Iowa, a race where Chip Ganassi Racing knew they weren't going to have a prayer of a successful race. That was a 12th place finish. Mm-hmm. That was still about top half of the field. That was the worst that Scott Ditson did. He finished every race. He finished only two outside the top sits. <laughs> In IndyCar, which is like a glorified spec series. How is that possible? Like, it's... You know what it was? It was the Indy 500. He had a really good result there. He snuck in, took the championship lead, and never looked back. Simple as that. Just uh, This kid said, just snuck in through the back door, and that was it. Um, No one could catch him. Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody, everybody, of course, will look to that weekend at Portland where his he could have been taken out in the opening lap, but he dodged everything and drove away with a fifth place finish. Yeah. Uh, Even when he wasn't good at tracks like mid-Ohio, he just finished a pretty all right fifth. That was an OK day by his standards. It didn't matter. He maximized all of his bad days. He did. He really did. I mean, they, they, like Tony Dezio mentioned it on Twitter after Portland, but. Like Dixon, Dixon for ultimate pace generally struggled on road courses, which is very unlike Dixon. But he's he qualified. His average qualifying position was eleventh on road courses this year. And every time he started a race outside of the top ten, he got the car into the top five. That is like again, I mentioned it last week. I'll say it again here. If there was a champion's drive rating. For Scott Dixon, the thermometer would have just broken at the other end of the scale. That is how phenomenal this man is. And as you mentioned on 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 Twitter, RJ, he's got several years left in him. Right, he is thirty eight years old. Uh, turned thirty eight in July. Um, he could easily do this if his body is up to it and if his mind is into it. He could do this until he's. Yeah, fit. I wouldn't put it past him. I really, would, I really wouldn't put it past him. He is. Did you know that? Did you know that the only time in the last twelve season that he's finished outside the top three in the championship was twenty sixteen when he finished, you know, a pedestrian sixth place. He's one of the greatest drivers in North American history. Period. Like that's just that's just a fact now. Surely he's he's won everything he can win. It's his fifth IndyCar title. He's what? I think was it third on the all time wins list now. Um... Yeah, he's third. He's, the only people in front of him are AJ Foyt, and Mario Andretti. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so he's third on the all-time winners. He's second now on the all-time titles list. I mean, 
he is utterly phenomenal. Dixon, I mean, a, a lot of people don't even not even going to bring him into goat discussions because you know they don't watch IndyCar for whatever reason in North America. You really should, uh, but yeah. like Dixon holds up against anyone in this generation as a racing driver. Period. End of discussion. Yeah, at least, at least from where I'm sitting, anyway. If you put him in, a, I'll I'll repeat what Graham Rahal said. Uh, he said this at Detroit. I want to say it was last year. Uh, if you put Dixon with enough testing time in a Mercedes, he will give Lewis Hamilton I a run for his money. I completely agree. That's I right. Completely agree with that, with that sentiment from Rahal. Um, and also, how refreshing is it that so many drivers have so much respect for the champion? A championship winner. Yeah. So many tweets, so Absolutely. many social media posts, and Instagram and everything like that as well. That's really refreshing to see. Genuinely, like in a landscape where mm. we're so competitive and we just want to diss the other driver and play head games all the time, it's awesome that they just like they're just lining up around the block to just pay homage to Scott Ditson for doing something you know that hasn't been done in a half century is to win more than four national championships in American Open Wheel Racing. It's crazy. The only driver to have more than five, by the way, AJ Floyd has seven. He's a, he's a big yeah. guy. Yeah. There's only two uh, people. But yeah, yeah completely agree with Chris bit. on that one as well. There were like the IndyCar paddock up and down, lined up for congratulations. Um, Joseph Newgard leading the charge, obviously last year's champion, handing the torch back to Dixon. Um, was the first to congratulate him. He's called him a living legend, which uh, is crazy for a a racing driver of the, of the talent of New Garden to come out and say that. But yeah, I completely agree. It was a very refreshing, very humbling, and very nice to see that uh, the entire grid was lining up to pay respects to Dixon for title number five. Truly a phenomenal racing driver and one of the finest of this era, in any era. Um, he's a truly phenomenal race car driver. So, uh, anyone for pancakes? <clears throat> <laughs> A king, king, you call, king, you called it earlier. Uh, your bank banked on a winner, and they got one. Yeah, <laughs> banked on a winner. Surprising, like a lot of people. I don't know. A lot of people kind of downplayed Dixon's chances at the end of the year, considering Ganassi contracted from four cars mm. to two. Yeah, that's the other thing that I want to bring up as well. Like we brought up last year that. Scott Ditson just can't win a title if he doesn't have the support. They contracted down from four cars to two, and maybe not through any fault of Ed Joe's fault of his own, he wasn't really that effective as a support man. Ditson did this pretty much all by himself. He toppled the almighty Penske giant and won the last three titles. Um, Yeah, that, again, kind of says it all, really. Um, Yeah, uh, Dixon pretty much did it on his own. He didn't have help from a bunch of blockers. Uh, Radix Rossi, as I pointed out on last week's show, or two weeks ago, two weeks ago, had all the help in the world with a very strong team around him. Um, with all of that around him. And he had help get, and he had some help getting through the field as well. Tony Kanaan just pretty much let him go. By the way, congratulations as well, Tony Kanaan, on 300 consecutive starts. That is insane. <laughs> like, that is utterly insane. Like since Portland 2001, 300 consecutive starts. They called him the Iron Man for good reason. Um, old boy TK, um, uh, 300 consecutive IndyCar starts. That's unbelievable by any measure. And I hear he's back for next year as well. So that, that... the next two years with Foyt. Wow, <laughs> he's going to keep pushing that mark higher and higher. Tony Kanaan, everybody, um, in, in in great health and still racing very well in. Indeed. 
Although I'm not a big fan of people waving title contenders through, I've, I've never been. I've always been that guy. People, I've had arguments from people in here and out of here. So it's like, oh, you know, oh it's all right. Game recognized game. I am not here for this. <laughs> Is that clock? <laughs> that was Felipe Massa's world title. Damn it! Um, <laughs> for all of ten seconds. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, like, don't forget that. We ought to talk about... There's one piece of the race we need to talk about. I think it's the rookies, because uh, Harding Racing had a couple oh. of uh, great rookies. Uh, the Indy Lights champion and runner-up, uh, Pato Award and Colton Herter ran for a Harding Racing. Um, now, granted, Harding Racing did have a bit of help uh, with their cars this weekend from Andretti, um, but nevertheless, Pato Award managed to start fifth in his first IndyCar race. And he finished, uh, I believe, in ninth. Ninth. Yes. Uh, Colton Herta was the last car in the lead lap, finishing 20th. Um, but let's face it, uh, Pato did a fantastic job during the race. And really, a lot of the rookies overall did a fantastic job. Pietro Fittipaldi finished well for Dale Coyne Racing. Mm-hmm. Santino Ferrucci actually gained nine positions uh, with his car. And well, and I actually read the uh, Coyne press release about 20 minutes ago, before we got, or 20 minutes before we got on the air here. Um, Ferrucci actually had a couple of engine issues during the race where his throttle stuck open a few times and he actually had to use the clutch three times every lap because the engine would not idle. Yikes. Um, oh, dear. Yeah, so uh, I wrote before Portland here to put his head down and show people that he's you know serious about this and quite frankly he had about as good of a result as you can expect yep. and he did a good job. Uh, full Marcus Santino for doing that. Uh, Zach drove a good race without having a few hundred pounds of downforce with a damaged floor. Um, overall, good job for the rookies. Completely complete yeah, agreed. But man, Patricio Award, Shadow Award. Oh my God! He made it to the he made it to the fat sits in his very first weekend in a proper Indy car. Yeah, absolutely sensational weekend from Pato Award. That is incredible. He's going to be one to watch again for next year as well. Brilliant job for the Harding team. And again, going to be very curious to see how he gets along in his, in his part-time drives next year. That's going to be fun. Fun as hell. Hell, it might even be full-time by the time the full season starts because the participation is out the arse for 2019. We could be talking as much as 28 cars for as, as far as we can say. So who knows? Um... So that's going to be very interesting indeed. But yeah, as Chris mentioned, a very good day for the rookies out there. Very impressive indeed. Who would have thought this about the series two, three years ago? Again, as mentioned, they're now bursting through the seams of potential talents coming through. It's uh, quite scary in a, in a very in a very positive way, I, I shall say. Um, run down the rest of the field real quick. Will Power in third. Another great result for Will there. Again, much as you could ask on the weekend in third. Simon Pagano who drove well in fourth place. Marco in fifth place. Nice for Marco Andretti there. Have a good weekend from Marco. Good pace yes. all time around. Shout out to Zoe on that one. Great weekend for Marco. Marco, it's, by it's the way, got his, this weekend was actually his first Firestone Fast 6 appearance as well. He had a fantastic weekend overall. Um, yeah. Great job, Marco. This is his first um, top five finish since Detroit. He had a great, great weekend. So full marks to Marco uh, for doing well this weekend. 
Indeed. Could not ask for much more than that. Brilliant weekend from Marco. Seb Bourdais, who again has confirmed to be back at Dale Coyne for 2019. He finished in sixth place. Alex Rossi, again, a phenomenal fight back, despite the, the mistake on the start to come back into seventh. I mentioned 17 passes to get back up into seventh place in the end. The kid's a phenomenal driver. If he cleans up some of his mistakes next year, look out. Um, Joseph Newgarden in eighth in the end, ahead of, again, the sensational Pado Award in ninth place. A brilliant weekend from the rookies. First ever weekend in the top ten. Brilliant stuff. Ed Jones in tenth for Chip Ganassi Racing. As mentioned, if Santino wants to, you know, lessen some of the heat wave around him, that's a good start. 20th to 11th, great drive from Santino Ferrucci in 11th place. Tony Kanaan in 12th, um, Jordan King in 13th, Zach Veach with the damaged floor in 14th. Not a good day for SPN, to be honest. James Hinchcliffe down in 15th place. Uh, Pietro Filipaldi in 16th ahead of Jack Harvey in his final race for Michael Shank for at least for the time being in 17th place Carlos Munoz in the number 6 car in 18th place ahead of Matt Leist in 19th Colson Herter in 20th making his IndyCar debut ahead of Max Chilton in 21st Charlie Kimball in 22nd Sigh. Um, Graham Rahal in 23rd, who had an engine failure, as did Spencer Piggott and Takuma Sato, who both had technical problems as well towards the end of that race. 25 runners in all on this double point finale. Right. If I may, uh, Dre, so something I did actually read um, yesterday, Trevor Carlin is looking at possibly doing a third car next year. Oh, and wow. So if we're looking at, if, and if we're reading between the lines and if my memory is correct, uh, back at Watkins Glen last year, I actually asked him about running an IndyCar program, and he said at that point he was about 70-30 on doing an IndyCar program. Uh, when asked about the odds of him running a third car next year, he said 70-30. That is looking mm. like it's, it might happen. <laughs> um, can you imagine Carlin going to three cars and possibly going to Indy Lights as well next year? Um, they're looking at doing that. Schmidt might be going back to Indy Lights as well. BN Racing is moving up to Indy Lights. We have a lot of positive momentum happening in IndyCar racing right now, and it's really, really nice to see. Yeah, it's, it, it, there's a lot of good problems the series has got going on right now. So like, like, like participation being, you know, through the roof and whatnot. So, like, you know, with that, with the Circuit of the Americas joining the calendar, is a great extra race to have on there um and whatnot so yeah there's like there is a lot of good issues the series has got to deal with going forward again as we mentioned it, it could be the first like it could be, we could be looking at 28 cars for next year full time yeah. which is insane because like on the indie light side of things i because in formula one a part of most f1 tv deals is that they uh carry formula two and in return, Formula 2 gets a cut of the TV money. I'm wondering how that's going to work for Indy Lights now that they're not going to be on NBC Sports proper, but they're going to be on NBC streaming service, mm. whether that'll be, you know, boosting the prize money involved in Indy Lights. That could be good. Again, more prize money means more participation, most likely, as well. More incentive to get involved in the series, which is good. Also, Chris dropped another fact in the Discord just a second ago that makes us all feel old again. Colton Herter was the first driver to participate in the Indy car race. He was born in the year 2000. Oh. <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Final championship standings. I'll go through the full full time grid because it's the last race of the season. Scott Dixon, your IndyCar Series champion for 2018 with 678 points. 
again, a truly sensational season once again. A phenomenal effort, and we have to give a salute to Alex Rossi in second place. Three poles, three wins, 621 points. Still a little rough around the edges by any amount count, but that is a phenomenal season. Alex Rossi is even better than advertised, and uh, I would say I would say that you know maybe you know the 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 edge that he's added to his game um, may have put him over the top a little bit. If he can refine that. He's going to be a multi-time champion. Oh, God, yeah. He's a monster. Like he, he, He's one of maybe three or four dudes in this series who can win anywhere. And that alone is a weapon in itself. And, you know, wheel-to-wheel-wise, one hand giveth, the other taketh away. And that's the, that's the line that Rossi's chosen to sit on. And he'll have good days and bad days doing that. If he can just get it, the balance a little bit further right... Um, I, I don't see any reason why he won't win multiple titles. He's a beast. and He's one of the fastest dudes in the series now, point blank, on any discipline. And that is a, a very bright prospect for the future of the series indeed. Willpower in third on 582 points. He gets the quote-unquote, he splits the pole trophy with Joseph Newgarden. They both had four on that one. 582 points for Willpower in third. Hunter Ray jumps up to fourth in the end with that double point and 104 point performance. Uh, His best result in the championship since 2012 when he won the title. Yep, he jumps. Talk about a resurgence to form this year. Yes, good to see Hunter Ray back up the front. Again, another guy who, again, can win anywhere when he's on pace. And uh, again, you'll have to sit there and say, I wonder if he'd had a little bit more luck with reliability this season. He'd be right up there, I reckon, again. He ended up finishing 112 behind Scott Dixon. There's a lot of points that were lost in just sheer mechanical failures again. Um, that 28 needs a bit of luck. But if he gets it, Hunter Ray is going to be right up there again, no question. Joseph Newgarden, the the, the one falls on his sword um, in fifth in the end. Again, still a great season with three wins, four pole positions, 560 points. But, awesome. but no win after Road America. And I don't, think he, I, don't, I don't think he was on the podium after that win at Road America, and that's probably what did him in, just hemorrhaging points left and right to Dixon and Rossi, most likely. That's probably what did Newgarden in more than anything else. You're right. No podiums after that win in Road America. His best finishes were two fourths. That's probably what did Newgarden in. Um, just not enough really big results after, after that Road America victory. Um, phenomenal start to the year, just faded as the year went on. And then there's a big jump down from 560 to 492, which is a very surprising thing to say about Simon Paginot in sixth place. Um, series champion two years ago. Just struggled with the new aero kit, I think, more than anything. I think he'd be the first guy to admit he struggled with the new aero kit this year, probably more than anybody else. Um, he's too talented to be down for long. I, um, I have no doubt that Jean Girard um, will get back up there soon enough. Um, I think because uh, he's, we all know he's a, he's a phenomenal racing driver when he, on his day, Simon. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Seventh, Seb Day. Nice to see him back up the board for Dale Coyne. That's a great season result for Sebastian Bourdais there um, with 425 points. Ahead of, ahead of, oh, in joint eighth place, Graham Rahal and Marco Andretti. Eight with 392 points each, which is a nice touch. Um, there, again, Graham Rahal ahead on count back, better overall results on that one. So, again, yeah, good season for Marco, all getting the top 10 like that. And uh, if there's one bit of uh, poetic justice in the world, the brothers themselves at Schmidt Peterson Motorsports 
James Hinchcliffe and Robert Wickens both finished with exactly 391 points each. So, some things are just meant to be, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the brothers in arms with the exact same point total. Um, that, that, that's beautiful to see. And of course, Robert Wickens ends the ends the season as Rookie of the Year. Congratulations, Robert! Indeed. Takuma Sato twelfth on three five one. Uh, Ed Jones on three forty three in thirteenth place. Spencer Pig at fourteenth. That's not a bad haul at all for Ed Carpenter on three twenty five. Zach Veach, I think, is going to be very very good next season. And Andretti in fifteenth overall with three hundred and thirteen points. Um, so keep an eye out for him next year, I think. Tony Kanaan in 16th on 3.12, ahead of Charlie Kimball on 2.87. Matthias Leist on 2.53 in 18th place. Uh, Max Chilton on 2.23 for Carlin. And then you get into the part-timers such as Gabby Chavez, 1.87. Nate Carpenter, 1.87. Jordan King, 1.75. Zachary Clackery, the Macquarie. 122, Jack Harvey 103, Carlos Munoz 95, Pietro Fittipaldi 91, Stina Ferrucci 66, Rene Binder 61, Connor Daly 58, Draft of a Higher Self, uh, Carl Kaiser on 45, Padua Ward with 44 ahead of Helio Castroneves. There's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> um, they're one off appearances across the season. 44 for him, Helio on 40, J.I. Hildebrand on 38, Wilson, Stefan Wilson on 31, Oriol Serbia 27, Alfonso Chedis. Junior on 23, Colton Herder 20, Danica Patrick 13, Jay Howard, just like riding a bike, with 12, Sage Karam on 10, and James Davison at the bottom also with 10. And there's another joke in there somewhere about Davison being at the bottom of the board. There you have it, everybody. That is your 2018 full IndyCar series title. But, I mean, I, I put it out there on Twitter at the end of the year, and we'll talk about this a lot more in detail at the next week's show. But, uh, a lot to look forward to with the IndyCar series this year, I think. And I think it was a very good season. I think the aero kit held up very well. I think there's a little bit of work to do still on the shorter ovals and on the super speedways. But I think overall, I think there's a lot to look forward to here, folks. And I, I think it's, it was a great exhibition this season. I don't think there was one race that blew everybody's minds, but just a lot of good racing overall. Yeah, everything was just solid. You didn't really get, like, a five-star instant classic race, but you got a lot of three- and four-star races, and that's that's really about all you can hope for. And the best part about this is, you know, we're, we're firmly entrenched in the area. We're now well past the American open-wheel racing split. If the television ratings can come back up, you know, maybe, just maybe, we can live in a future nowadays where the most popular form of auto racing in North America isn't NASCAR. It's the IndyCar series. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Something to think yeah, about. Yeah, it's... As Chris points out on the Discord chat as well, notice the tone. We're upbeat about the series. Like, F1 is still looking a little bit bland. I think there's still a lot of fundamental problems in that series that, you know, we, we've, we've addressed on numerous occasions that are going to take time to fix. But it's genuinely nice to see... The, the swing is very positive. I mean, going to Cote next year is going to be a massive deal. That's going to be a phenomenal race to have on the calendar for him as well. Having maybe as many as 28 cars on the grid is very optimistic indeed. Um, you know, teams potentially running three cars again, more talent coming in as well. 
you know, like Spencer Pickett coming up through the ranks and Pado Award and Colton Herter, that they could be phenomenal talents. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to be positive about, and yeah, you know, there's there's a lot out there that we like, and is only going to get better, I think, as time goes on. And hey, some guy called Fred might be joining us next year, so that's bound to be fun, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We've mentioned all these positive things. And Fred Watch hasn't even hit critical mass yet. Oh dear. Part part of me was always like, F one should sort things out domestically before looking overseas. But I think it's going to be the other way around, where it's like maybe getting all this international attention in F one will make F one more popular here in the U S. I mean, we'll make IndyCar. Whoa. Wow! Wow! We'll <laughs> we'll make IndyCar. More popular here in the U.S. That's one for the reel right there. Lewis, save that clip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we will be getting into that a little bit more in depth on next week's show, episode 162, which will be a full IndyCar season review. Chris, you want to come back for that one? <laughs> yeah, sounds... I think I'll, uh, I'll come back for that. Um, also, if I may, I think we might... If you want to go into some offbeat racing news for mm-hmm. a second here. Go Is that all right? It. So... So, got a little bit of time, yes. So F3 Americas uh, was racing this weekend over at New Jersey Motorsport Park, and um, the streak is over. Um, no. Kyle Kirkwood finally lost a race. King Kyle has fallen. So for, those of you who, so for those of you who don't know, uh, the Maserati Indy, Kyle Kirkwood won 12 out of 14 races in USF 2000. Out of a possible 477 total points, he claimed 440 of them. Second place in the championship got 236, just to give you a bit of a, let you know how he d- did. He won the last 10, no, tw- 11 races in a row, and he won the first eight races of the F3 Americas Championship this year, and then he lost to Balthazar Leguizamon in the last race at New Jersey Motorsports Park, ending a streak that dated back to May 11th. Dang. Kyle Kirkwood is going to be very good in something in very short order. In he is so he is from uh, Jupiter, Florida, the same hometown as Oliver Askew, who won the USF 2000 title the year before him in 2017. Um, I'm going to have a chance to talk to one, if not both, of them at the Chris Griffiths Memorial Test at the at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So if we can do that, I can do a little bit of a review on that too, because you're going to have a lot of road to Indy teams testing there. And speaking of uh, new teams joining, we have three new teams looking at joining USF 2000 as well. Uh, Jay Howard's team, Jack Miller, uh, Miller Vinatieri is joining, and so is Legacy Autosport. We have a lot of positive momentum in American Open Racing, and I'm totally here for it. Hell yeah. We're here for it. We are here for it indeed. As mentioned, a lot more of that will be tackled in depth next week on episode 162 of Motorsport 101. Places you can find us one more time before we get out of here real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Check out part one of, the, again, the two-part Dre Brief special talking about the 2018 title fight. Mercs and apparently F1 misses Nico Rosberg. All of that on YouTube. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. At Harrison101HD. At Ryan Eric King. At RJ O'Connell. At C the Hard A as well. C-D-E-H-A-R-D-E. And we're on patreon as well if you want to back us financially on there you can back us there patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 
$5 gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live. Bike Live will be back as well this weekend for episode 79, talking all about superbikes as well. If you talk about the uh, the big, big uh, news in uh, World Superbikes there with Jonathan Ray claiming another double victory in Portimao there. Michael Vandermark having good weekends and whatnot. Oh, and if you haven't seen the news already, the most ridiculous finish to a World Super Sport race you will ever see. Um... If you have not Googled what's happened with Lucas Mahias, check it out if you haven't already. If we haven't, we will explain it on Bike Live. Maybe the most bizarre finish to a motorsport race ever. Let's just say red flags and flat tyres were involved. Um, it's pretty mental, to say the least. Um, that and, of course, BSB's first round of the showdown at Alton Park. Jake Dixon getting a great double victory to make the season there a little bit more interesting in the fight against Leon Haslam. So all of that on episode 79 of Black Live later this weekend. Back at the $10 level, and you also get into our Discord, which, by the way, the biggest audience we've ever had for a live recording by any measure... Holy shit, what are you doing here? <laughs> we think we're We've run out of punch. Um, shout out to Black and March. Shout out to Adam, Cam, Henry, um, Joseph, Jason, and Steve. All in here sitting in and tuning in with us. Thank you very much for joining us on this slightly earlier Tuesday night, I have to say. But uh, still, thank you very much for, for sitting down with us. Hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King. Uh, RJ O'Connell and Christopher DeHarde. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week for the full IndyCar season review. Till next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. See you. Bye. I can't wait for Takate to back up Patricio Award so we can get him, Canelo Alvarez, and Sly Stallone in the same <laughs> awkward television commercials. <laughs> Come on, Paddle, be bold. <laughs> 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 <laughs>